Welcome to all of our new and existing relatives and listeners. This is the Healing Dojo podcast series brought to you by the Her Wellness Institute in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us as we engage in meaningful conversation around the complexities of our collective and individual healing. Listen along with us as we free think and practice CAM, Community Activated Medicine, where the people are the medicine. Come as you are and let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Healing Dojo podcast. I am your wonderful host this week, Xavier, Professor X, whichever one you prefer, up to you. And with me, as always, is Mr. Fonde Bridges. And I am so excited that I know now I can call you Professor X. (laughs) I I had no idea that was an option, but I enjoy it because I feel like you always have an intangible something beautiful to share with everyone that is an x factor so i like i like that you are professor x because you always have something that is unknown and wonderful to share thank thank you i'm trying to embrace it so and as always you know i know our listeners can't see but we do record via zoom so we have our wonderful interns with us as well listening and tuning in you know we'll just kind of jump right into this week so you know over the past few weeks we've really been taking the time and the opportunity to um, just have conversations as well as highlight um, women that are pioneering healing today with us we have a very special guest i'm honored to be able to interview her with fonde and just get to learn more about you know her work and what she's doing and how she is evolving and shifting um, what healing needs to look like. So we have with us today Habiba Rashid Grimes. She is a three-time alumna of Cleveland State University, holding a bachelor's degree in psychology, MS in clinical psychology and counseling, master's as a specialist in social psychology. She is currently the CEO of the Positive Education Program in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a nonprofit that provides services for youth and families experiencing severe mental health and behavioral challenges. We thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time out just to talk with us and um, really just share this space with us. So how are you today? I am well, thank you. I am blessed to be with you all today. I feel so humbled and honored um, as I listen to the introductions. I have to tell you, I was blown away by the insight and the courage and the um, brilliance and the compassion of each of the interns. And Leah, thank you for the invitation to be here. Fonde, you're, you're a whole mood. So this is, um, <laughs> I am uh, just honored and, and I feel like I'm gonna have a little fun here today and, and also share some, some of the seriousness uh, involved in my own development and work and, and leadership um, and continued growth because I'm here today as much a student as a teacher, um, as much a healer as a person in need of healing. So I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. All right. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are all about joy and laughter. So yes, Monday <laughs> is definitely a whole mood. Um, <laughs> You know, you want to wake up, wake up and feel fun day today. So um. it's a fun day. It's a fun fun day. day. Like when I was a kid, when I was six, I thought it was spelled F-U-N-D-A-Y. So I'm serious. So I used to think it was all about having fun days, but now I'm just fond of the day. (laughs) 
There's a lot to play with there. Anyway, we should get on. So Habiba, I think he's got a couple. I, I shouldn't even say that. I'm looking at his sheet. I know he has questions for you. We should get right into the first question because I think that's going to introduce us to you and your yeah. journey a little bit. Yes, so. absolutely. Thank you, Fonde. So our first question, um, of course, just to kind of set the the tone, um, is just can you give us a little bit of synopsis of your journey and you know what what it took to get you to where you are today? Sure. So my journey started in my childhood. Honestly, um, I am the daughter of a woman who uh, stepped up in the face of extreme systemic racism in 1980s America, um, Northeast Ohio, a city in decline in many ways, um, parenting two children on her own. And with her own kind of insight into humanity, but um, living many dreams deferred. Uh, we are the descendants of enslaved African, my, both sides of my family. And so there was a lot of unaddressed trauma. And so being raised in that environment was hard um, for my mother doing the raising and for my brother and me as children. Um, my brother saw and experienced more intense, I'll say, adversity than me. Um, and arrived in his childhood with a great deal of struggles, uh, a number of struggles. And they were academic in nature. They were social and emotional in nature. nature. They were relational in nature. And I was kind of bearing witness um, in a role of the child who would not, not cause too much trouble. And if I did not get caught. And my brother, on the other hand, um, was, was just was so raw with emotion, so um, deeply touched with anger and feeling abandonment and rejection. And my mother was desperate and terrified for us um, and for him. And she was parenting on her own. My, my dad had his deep struggles, um, again, that I think are deeply rooted in this heritage of trauma. And so um, my mom started this, you know, this pathway to try to get free and free her children from the bondage of poverty, the bondage of racism. And for her, that means that meant, you know, education, get your education. That's that's a source of liberation. Get to safe geographic spaces if you can. So she was on the move. Um, and all the while, my brother was struggling. And so our childhood was, was marked by a lot of moves, a lot of residential moves and a lot of um, school changes. Every couple of years we were moving and it came a point where my brother's struggles were precipitating those moves. So um, housing stability can be largely influenced by living with someone with a mental health condition. And so when someone is struggling with their mental health and with relational challenges and you get evicted, you gotta move again. So we moved um, in the latter part of his childhood in large part related to his challenges. And so I watched him struggle, struggle, struggle throughout my childhood. And I arrived um, at the end of my own high school career being propelled in one direction because I was a, a black student with academic progress promise. And yet my heart and my soul and my spirit were being pulled in another direction. So I secretly got my psychology degree and broke it to my mom once I got into graduate school that that physical therapy degree, eh, it's not going to happen. That master's in physical therapy, like those sciences, I wasn't really feeling them. I took all these psych courses and got a psych degree. 
took art history courses, specifically African-American art history courses and fell in love there as well. And realized that I wanted to work with children um, and, and, and help them heal, help them heal socially and psychologically um, and was also not terribly interested in a doctorate um, because, you know, paying my own way through college meant I'm gonna have to make this affordable for the long haul and pursue school psychology. Um, that's, that's where I found my home in terms of a discipline that would give me the space to help children heal. Because I've shared about my brother, but the reality of it is uh, where we lived, we, we lived in the most segregated of neighborhoods, even in diverse communities. And so my friends, my people, the people I love were also struggling. Um, struggling with use and experimentation with different substances, struggling with um, absent parents because our parents were working toward the American dream. So they were not at home. We were not supervised. Some became parents earlier than intended. Some left school because they just did not feel like that was where the promise was held. And so I arrived in as a school psychology graduate student. Like I want to, I want to heal my people. I want to find that find the way I want to see a path to, to healing that might have helped my, my family. My brother, when I was in my first year of graduate school, my brother had a very severe uh, mental health break um, and ended up with a di diagnosis of schizophrenia, um, resulted in serious injury to my mother, um, deep trauma to me. Uh, and so I, I was on the path. I just, I knew my heart, my mind, my spirit was interested in seeing my people healed my immediate family people and my community. And then and as an intern, I was exposed to the positive education program on one hand and the city of East Cleveland, their schools on the other hand. I'll let you all look into city, the city of East Cleveland, but that's a tragedy right here in Northeast Ohio, a wrong and an injustice that is unspeakable. And today it is in worse condition than it was 20 years ago when I was an intern. But nonetheless, I was exposed to the promise of these young children who were already very marginalized. Um, and so I fell in love with urban education in that environment. And I fell in love with PEP, Positive Education Program, because I was able to be an intern in a day treatment center where the majority of the children looked like me. And I met a little boy who looked and reminded me of my brother desperate to defend and protect his family, but also injuring them out of his own desperation and anger and, and frustration uh, with life. And so that has been my home. PEP has been my home. I graduated after my internship and I went to um, our Cleveland Municipal School District here. I loved it there. Um, but an opportunity became available at PEP. And, and I wanted to be in an environment where I could exercise those clinical skills. Most of the time, school psychs are like testing kids, and I wanted to exercise those clinical skills. And I found my professional home. My intent in my career, to be honest, was to play it tight, you know, put my head down, get to the work of healing young people who looked like me, some of whom reminded me of friends and family and young men that I liked in high school or dated. And I'm like, this is home for me. I see in these young people, the children that we once were, myself and my peers and my brother, and I was ready to be there. And um, honestly, I believe that it, there is, there's been divine intervention 
um, and grace showed up and made a way for me. The ancestors showed up and have been making a way for me and, and compelling me, urging me, inviting me into the space of leadership so that I could share the stories of the young people who I knew and cared about and loved deeply, um, who, whose voices had been marginalized um, and who may have not found that pathway into the educational system to be identified and loved on and cared about and nurtured and whose gifts were not, not treated as such in education, uh, finding a, a way to be a st stand in for them um, show up for them and, and remind the community of folks who look at me and, and see something exceptional or something that is full of promise or whatever that is, that um, I'm here by grace and uh, standing in for the young people that so many of you rejected along the road. I, I was just, <laughs> look, I just listened well. I enjoyed every word yeah, she said out of her mouth, actually. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I feel like, look, I, we could do that again. Right. I know. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Thank you so much for um, taking us on that journey and just giving us a, a insight synopsis as to what led you to where you are. Um, and can we, can I qualify what I was about to say, actually, when I think about it is, where are you now? What, who, who are, well, like, do you have a title? Do you have a place? I do, thank you. you. Things, right. You get show up, because you told us the journey, but I got to admit, I'm, I ain't as um, well um, read as Xavier. I'm going put to put it that way. You know, I, I, everybody sent me all the information, but I just somehow didn't become well read. So if you would tell us verbally, a little bit about where you are, and, and I heard all the degrees and the stuff, and I, you got a title that says CEO. So thank you for that question, because I think that's an important thing to, to go into more deeply. So I'm the CEO of Positive Education Programming here in Northeast Ohio. We're better known as PEP. We provide services along the continuum of development. So zero to grade, you know, K or pre-K all the way to age 22. And the services that we deliver are for um, children who are in the early childhood space, if they're in a daycare setting or a preschool setting and they're demonstrating some behavioral challenges at risk for being removed from that program, we do training and consultation to help daycare providers avoid kicking kids out of daycare and preschool. We know that sets kids off up on a trajectory that is very harmful when that happens. So we work in those environments. We also do early childhood mental health consultation and that's intensive parent training and okay. parent consultation okay. so that parents can um, manage children with with challenging behaviors but like what toddler doesn't have challenging behaviors right so right. as moms or dads or carers you, you your stuff can get activated and triggered by a toddler because they just do not care and so working with those parents and caregivers to manage behaviors in ways that are nonviolent, supportive, and rooted in this uh, program titled Conscious Discipline. Beyond uh, that, we also do some training across the state for early childhood uh, educators. Moving from there, we do some training and consultation in the K-12 range. So that is the roots of really the organization's history. The organization was founded in 1971 at a request from local school districts to the founder and his collaborator, Rico Pallada, Lee Maxwell, are their names. And they were asked to help schools 
work with students and keep them in the, the public school setting when the law, the civil rights law, mind you, that is now Individuals uh, with Disabilities Education Act required that children with disabilities be educated to the greatest extent possible with their non-disabled peers. Right. So that's the that was the roots of the organization, providing training and consultation. And there came a time where schools felt like there are some children who exceed our resources and looked to the founders to build out some programming in support of young people whose needs exceed the resources of the public school district. And we can talk about who, you know, how that can happen. And there are a number of routes to, through, by which a child can exceed the resources of the school district. But our founders stepped in and created our day treatment centers. And today we have six day treatment centers that continue to partner with local school districts. Right now, more than 50 of our school districts in the region uh, send us students who we educate in our day treatment centers. And in those buildings, there are mental health services available in the classroom, educational services available also, of course, in the classroom, and then a number of support staff, including the amazing work of occupational therapists. I have to shout out Val, occupational therapy is the business when it comes to helping young people. Um, and then we also provide family support. Um, so we have family support specialists who provide like a peer support to parents and caregivers. Those are, that's one of my favorite roles in the organization and some of my favorite people in the organization do that work. Have a, a school principal, essentially clinical counselors or social workers who serve or school psychologists who serve as uh, clinical supervisors. And I should mention too, one of our uh, day treatment centers really focuses on autism. So children who are um, deeply impacted by developmental delays and, and autism, who may not have language um, to communicate their needs or who may struggle with sensory integration, um, um, different, some, some um, rare medical conditions that accompany uh, cognitive delays. So we provide really highly specialized services, eclectic as I like to call them in that space, not just focused on behaviorism, but focusing on the sensory integration and support and relationships that young people need so that they can have people they trust that they can start to communicate with and the methods that work best for them. We have uh, a program for children with cognitive delays and complex trauma. And then the rest of our, our centers, um, really, I, I, I like, we used to call, I'll say we used to call them, we often call them typical day treatment centers. They are the centers where children with complex developmental trauma are being served. They are children who are oftentimes the descendants of enslaved Africans. The majority of the children in our, uh, day, our day treatment centers, and especially our quote unquote typical day treatment centers are black children boys especially, we see some of the same kind of dynamics and challenges that public schools see, um, particularly when they are serving children of the global majority, Black and brown children. Um, our region, um, I, I want to mention this, our region, it, it struggles to recognize the realities that impact Indigenous families and children. So I just want to shout out the Lake Erie um, Native American Council. It's an organization I'm admiring from afar at this moment. I so hope desperately to have a conversation with Cynthia Connolly, who is their executive director, but um, doing beautiful work to, promote, to achieve self-healing and wellness uh, for our Native American Northeast Ohioans. We serve very few in terms of our um, families who identify as Indigenous or Native American in our program. 
Um, and then the other program I wanna mention is PEP Connections, which is a program that provides wraparound services, high fidelity wraparound services to children in the region who are at risk for being removed from their home or families because of the severity of their mental health needs. These are children who come into contact with police because of the challenges that they might present in school or home or community. These are children whose families may call the Department of Children and Family Services and say, I cannot do this anymore. I'm going to do something I'd, I'd regret if you don't come get this child. Uh, they are also children who may experience severe and uh, profound and frequent uh, experiences of neglect and abuse. Uh, and so there, there may be risks uh, related to um, the family, the, the, the child and, and caregiver dynamic because of those um, needs that are presenting for mom, dad, caregiver, or child or all of them. And so we provide um, services to children to help them avoid entering into those systems or deepening their involvement with those systems. Some of our children end up in emergency rooms and psych psychiatric beds and residential care. Some are removed from their family's custody because there's, there aren't enough resources in the family really to support the needs of the child. So our work is about building that natural support system, helping to bridge kids to those natural supports in the family, in the community, in the uh, school, so that children can be more successful and have the supports that they need and that the adult around them kind of understand their needs better so that they are not um, causing re-traumatization for those young people, um, connecting young people to arts and cultural uh, resources within our community. We have a wealth of resources in Northeast Ohio. That is a blessing. Amazing um, arts and culture uh, organizations led by black and brown people. And so there are some amazing opportunities here. And so our program really works to connect families and children to those resources, offsetting any costs associated with those supports. How, when you say we, I mean, that can't just be you and like you. So no. <laughs> how many of the we's are working with you? I'm just curious how many people are with you working? And I was wondering how many children do you serve? So those are great questions. Our staff is about 450 people now. We've been in the range of 480 to 500 staff um, most frequently or mo most often over the years. We serve about 2,500 children a year. And that's across all of those programs. Our day treatment centers serve about 500 children per year. And our PEP Connections program, that high fidelity wraparound service, that program serves about 850 kids per year. Are the 500 all different types of people who work with her? Because I feel like what she has is, you know, some camtastic folks, right? Some medicine people running right. around. Absolutely. She got 500 medicine folks. Mm -hmm. Okay, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you about two thirds of our medicine people. Well, first of all, we call ourselves teacher counselors. Um, we are uh, rooted in a philosophy called re-ed, re-education of emotionally disturbed children. The language can be challenging, especially today, as you think about the, well, the language of wellness. Um, but really, it's a humanistic approach to thinking about the needs of children. Children are not broken. Children are not damaged. Children are not um, the problems themselves support children's learning, and they are counselors who support children's social and emotional well-being. 
Um, so we call ourselves teacher counselors and about two thirds of uh, the, our staff work in our day treatment centers. That's where the greatest amount of medicine can be needed, if I may, because that, that school day is long and those services are can get intense and the needs that children can prevent, present in that environment can get intense. So we are heavily staffed to support relationships for kids. So they have plenty of people they can feel a connection to or derive a relationship with. There's about 50 staff that provide administrative support, clerical support, make sure folks get paid and got healthcare and all those things that our folks should have uh, as they do their work. Uh, and the rest are in those training and consultation or community-based care spaces. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, you know, again, giving us insight into the work that you and your, your organization is, is providing to the community of Ohio. Thank you for listening and reflecting along to this episode, Relatives. We hope the content and thoughts you experienced will continue to ignite the healing within. We encourage you to continue the conversation by scrolling through our other podcast episodes, as some of them may have a part two or three and a reflection. We wish you all the love and good energy as you move forward in your healing journey. It is our honor to be here with you. Be sure to check us out on our Facebook page or at www.herwellness.org. And that is spelled H-I-R-wellness.org. Take care, relatives.